Howdy, everyone. It's Arthur Staple. Uh, welcome back to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Joined once again and uh, a warm return to my buddy Mark Parrish from Mountain Mini. Mark? Thank, thank you, my friend. Good to be back. Good to, good to have you here. Uh, and um, you missed a pretty shitty week from the Islanders, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. Um I mean, it was kind of started with some excitement uh, on trade deadline day, and uh, and then we talked about uh, that the day of the Islander Ranger game, and you know, a couple of disappointing results against some difficult teams towards the end of the week. Um, tonight, they've got the Canadians here at uh, Barclays, one of the last games here, and we'll talk about that decision a little bit uh, that came out over the weekend that the Islanders will be officially back on Long Island after the last game here uh, towards the end of the month, all playoff games this season. Uh, at Nassau Coliseum, uh, all regular season and postseason games next season at Nassau Coliseum, and then ideally Belmont Park after that. But um, we'll start with uh, kind of what's, you know, after a difficult week, 0-1 and 2, that they went. Um, they're still in a good playoff position. I think a lot of the the uh, prognosticators, whether it's our Dom Lucision, who updates uh, playoff percentages every day or um, – over at uh, Micah McCurdy, who d- puts out a, uh, a kind of an updated uh, chances of playoffs uh, on Twitter every day and his Hockey Viz website, a couple others. Everybody's around 80% still for this team. Very good. So four out of five chance of them making the playoffs, which is, uh, which is you know, those even with losses, those numbers tend to go up because the you run out of real estate for the teams that are chasing them. You definitely want to be where they are rather than Carolina or the Rangers kind of doing the chasing. Um, or Pittsburgh and doing the falling, right? Or doing serious falling where you're getting zero <laughs> points out of your out of your games. Everybody but Philly seems to be kind of in a little bit of a mess right now. However, um, chances of making the playoffs and actually making the playoffs are different than what you're going to look like when you get there. And yeah. going into tonight, the Islanders started the season sixteen three and two. They're nineteen eighteen and six since then. That is more than half of the season. That is not a pace where you get even a sniff of the playoffs to play 500 or whatever NHL calls 500, since those include some OT losses and shootout losses. So I guess the question to start this week, Mark, is this team can make the playoffs. Can they do anything when they get there with the way that they've been playing for the bulk of the season? It's awfully hard to just flip a switch. That's, uh, that is the most concerning thing right now. When you look around the Eastern Conference, it's strange where the teams that are struggling and, and it does get to that point. Yeah, you're concerned about making the playoffs, but yeah, if you're not playing your best hockey, which is exactly what your goal is in the NHL, build, 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 build all season long. And then as you get to the playoffs, that's when you're playing your best hockey. You're feeling good. You're red hot. You're the uh, Columbus Blue Jackets from last year. And you go in and you sweep Tampa in the first round. You want to have that great feeling going in. It's hard to go into the playoffs, go into that first round. uh, And whether you call it backing in or sneaking in or, or whatever it might be, if you're not playing your best hockey, Eh, there's some wavering in the confidence in that locker room and maybe even behind the bench. It's it's one of those things where it can be scary. Now it has happened. Teams have been able to turn it around and, and done some damage, but I don't, I can't really think of uh, too many NHL teams that have kind of slowly limped into the playoffs and then gone on to win the cup offhand. Yeah. I mean, you think of some of the teams that have come from, you know, seven or eight seed to either make the finals. You think of going back 2012 when it was LA and the Devils. Those were both yes. lower, you know, kind of lower seeded teams. 
But sometimes when you're a lower seeded team, it means you got on a you turbocharge your effort down the stretch to get yeah. in the playoffs, and all of a sudden you look like you, you're looking at a team that looked like they were dead in the water all year. Even last year in St. Louis, yeah, you know, last place in January. Um, when you when you can rev it up for a long period of time in the regular season and start to look like the team that that people thought you'd be, that's a different story than what we're dealing with. I think with uh, with the Islanders because. Um, you know, the start of the season, they were winning games in a lot of different ways in that 17-game point streak. Um, and, and, you know, finding timely offense, playing the stingy yeah. defense that they could, that they know, we know that they can play. Uh, and, you know, they're banged up. Pittsburgh's banged up. And I think they're start, you're starting to see the effects of them missing guys and trying to plug in new guys at the deadline since they added a bunch of guys. Yep. Um, those things can be difficult to do. Washington, you know, I think when you look at a team like Washington or a team like Tampa, that's kind of, both those teams have taken some some missteps lately. You don't have as much of a concern about them because they've sh- you know they have the track record. Tampa's last playoff season, notwithstanding, they have the track record with the guys that they have and the coaches that they have of success in the playoffs. And yes. uh, and so I think that's a little different than than the feeling with the Islanders is that last season they they went in the playoffs. You know I don't think that they were lights out down the stretch last season either. Um, but they got there. They got there in good shape. They got home ice. They used it to their advantage. They they kind of choked the life out of the Penguins right from game two on through the, the end of that sweep in Pittsburgh, took the life out of the building in Pittsburgh, did yeah. everything you want to do, and then had it reversed on them from Carolina team that, much like a Carolina team this year that seems to be fighting for a playoff spot, gets in mm-hmm. and, and people are a little a little bit more afraid of just because of the skill they have. Um with the Islanders and you see some of the droughts that guys are going through, Matthew Barzell, two goals in I think 30 games right now, although he's certainly been creating a ton. Uh, Anders Lee still uh, in the teens and goals. Anthony Beauvillier slowed down. Brock Nelson slowed down. Um, how much how much runway do you need to kind of get back on track here? And and they'll be getting uh, a little bit healthier. Casey Zizika should be back in the next two weeks or so, which will definitely give them a boost. But, but how much time do you really need to – to kind of sharpen your game when you've kind of been going through the lull of January and February. You know, right. You want to see it kicked in right around game 60, 65, right around where they, I think they're at 64, I believe uh, is where they have got, they've got played. And this is when you want to see everything get ramped up. So you want to talk about, uh, we touched on Columbus and Carolina and St. Louis from last year and those teams. Uh, the difficult thing is those teams are playing such desperate hockey, such high intensity hockey, playoff style hockey that you can't just flip a switch and go in and compete against them. So you can, but it's it's awfully difficult, obviously, as we saw. So so you've got to find that desperation. It's not just winning, you know, three of your last five, four of your last five, five in a row. Like, okay, that's great. We found a way to win again. But you got to find that desperation, that intensity, so you're up and ready and going just as much as those teams that have been having to do it for 20, 30 games or have been doing it for 20, 30 games leading into the playoffs where they're almost not even turning it up another gear because they're already there. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, we're making it sound pretty dire for the Islanders. They, (laughs) they, they, I I suppose I don't, I I don't mean that way. Right. Right. I mean, last week, last week was tough and uh, you know, they rallied uh, in a big way to get a point against the Rangers, which felt like a decent point, all things considered from a, you know, another wacky night against their rivals. Um, 
and then getting one out of the two games against St. Louis and Boston. Boston uh, Boston has remarkably won 10 straight, either at the Coliseum or Barclays. Um, it's not a team the Islanders match up against very well, uh, even though they'd split the first two games. It just seems like when the Bruins are clicking on all cylinders, and maybe it was a little bit of the same with St. Louis, although it felt a little bit more like the Islanders just sort of wore down because the Blues just come at you wave after wave with such heaviness. Um the Bruins really, the, the kind of their skill guys really just, you know, they were they were blocking shots. The Islanders had five power plays and, and you know, hardly anything got through. And Rask was was really yeah. sharp. We're not trying to make excuses, but yeah. but sometimes right. you run you run up against a team like that. And and that could even happen tonight. You know, Montreal yeah. is is out of the playoffs. The dead cat bounce is a is a real thing in this league where a team starts to realize that they're out of it or they make a they make a bunch of trades at the deadline. And lose a bunch of guys, and everyone else that's left has a lot of pride. And I think, uh, you know, it's not there's not a huge difference between a winning team and a losing team in this league. So you got to be ready every night. So they could the same thing could happen tonight. Carey Price could make 45 saves, and they could, you know, bounce a couple goals in off people's shin pads, and all of a sudden it looks like the Islanders are are stinking up the joint again. But um, but when you have a couple games like they had last week. Um, where they haven't scored now and since the scoring two in St. Louis in the first period, and, and that's something that had reared its head on the road trip where they were unable to kind of break through. Um, you definitely start to you start to feel the concern, and I think there's yeah. you know all the good feeling that they got from making the big acquisition of, of JG Pajot at the deadline last week. Um, you know, I think they they still there's still some some areas of concern in this in this roster for sure. Yeah, and which and again, they say not to make it sound dire. Because right away, we're talking about St. Louis and Boston, two of the best teams, if not the best two teams in the NHL right now. Uh, one coming off a Stanley Cup, one being heartbroken that they lost the Stanley Cup last year. Those guys are gearing up not just to make the playoffs; they're gearing up to win the Stanley Cup. So those, I'm not too concerned about that. Yeah, it, you know, they shut out two goals. There are things that you can obviously look at that are that are a little worrisome, uh, but those two you just forget and move on. Now, now they do have time. There's, like I said, 18 games left now. I mean, so there's plenty of time to get it back going and get it going. And it's just kind of getting simplified. Yeah, this is when the time of year you start to kind of nitpick uh, the numbers and whatever the numbers games, the goals scored, and obviously Anders. Oh, and congratulations to Anders Lee as well. That's right. Baby, uh, baby Ruby arrived uh, yeah. yesterday, and and mm-hmm. uh, that's a good thing for the Islanders because she was due uh, while they were on their Western Canada trip. So um, Jordan Eberle's wife is due right around the same time too. So maybe they'll get uh, lucky. They'll get lucky, and she'll come a little bit early before they head out on the road for a week. Uh, but, conti- getting, but continue getting support from the getting support from the babies, the family that's already. Right. That's that's, right. that's good. That's we all, ho- all that's of a us. Hockey, that's a hockey baby right there. You know, <laughs> she knew when to she knew when to show up. Exactly, exactly. So you just, you know, it's it's now it's time where it's like, okay, guys, we got to ramp up, you know, whether it's you simplify, you know, just start that getting that intensity, getting that determination, that desperation going. Yeah, I mean, it, they want you want to see it now. Yeah, 10 games left, they get that going. But you know, anytime you go somewhere on like a 10 game streak as a player on a bench you're feeling awfully good about your game. You're feeling almost unbeatable at that point, no matter who you're going against. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, they want to get it going. That being said, they, stu- they still do have time. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, without 
digging too deeply into some of the, into these games. The Bruins game was just, you know, I think as Barry Trotz said, they lost that in the first 10 minutes. They kind of yeah. Boston imposed their will. The Islanders were a little bit on their heels, and then they were fighting, mm-hmm. fighting in quicksand the rest of the way. But the St. Louis game, you know, they they had played a terrific first period. They get up 2 nothing. They give it back a little bit with a bad turnover in the last minute of the first. They take a, a lazy penalty. Brock Nelson throws the puck over the boards. Uh, and then second, third, and overtime, they barely, you know, I think it was 15 total shot attempts at five on five. And that's that's not enough. You know, that shows no. that you're not, you don't have the puck and you're not. Uh, and that was a game that Andy Green missed after it looked like, uh, after he missed most of the Ranger game and they were down to 5D, it looked like a stinger where he just kind of got his, his stick jammed in the boards and, and somebody hit him at the same time. And, you know, seeing him on the bench just trying to like flex the shoulder, um, yeah. it looked like, he just kind of lost all feeling. So um, wasn't in there in St. Louis. Uh, they went back to their five and a half D c- composition with Noah Dobson and Dobson played less than 10 minutes in that game. Johnny Boychuk played on about 14 and change. And frankly, the other guys just looked tired, you know, yeah. and, and that's the, again, that time of year, um, you know, when you're trying to defend against a lot of big guys, I think the, you know, the Nick Luddy, Ryan Pollock pairing, which was starting to show some wear and tear, uh, in the in the games before Andy Green arrived, uh, looked a little worn out again. Um, it's just tough, you know. They're they're the the fragility of their depth, and it's it, it can happen to anybody, you know. Losing oh, yeah. Pellick, losing the guy that they were tried to replace Pellick with for a night in Green, um, they're just they're just trying to patch it together, and uh, and you don't have a ton of guys ready to just call up or send back, you know, it, it's uh, it's a difficult time of year and already missing Sezekis and having Cal Clutterbuck just kind of easing back in uh, on Saturday. He wasn't ready yet on Thursday either. And so playing nine, 10 forwards when trying to defend, it, it looked like a team that was just like, just get it out and see if we can <laughs> keep the puck from, from the dangerous areas. And that's, you know, it's a losing recipe against a team like St. Louis. Yeah, and those games happen all year long. I know that, yes, this is the time of year where they get a little scarier. They tend to be uh, magnified a little bit more now because you do worry about depth going into the playoffs. But sometimes you're just tired, and the guys are tired. You get a couple of injuries, uh, and you move on from there. You can't read too much into one game like that. Now, now if it goes on for (laughs) – now, if this starts to be a bit of a trend, then we worry. Yeah, yeah. So, um, um, generally speaking, I would say this team is is a playoff team, and no matter when you go on a streak like they had uh, at the beginning of the year, it still counts in the standings. That's why you got to bank those points early on because yep. it's the three point games so so hard to to climb over teams uh, and get in the playoffs. I think you know tonight's opponent Montreal. They've had some good games in the last couple of weeks, but but being nine, you know, I think they're six. Six points, or and I guess they're nine points back of both the Islanders and Columbus. Even and that you know the Islanders have two games in hand on them. It just you, the math runs out really fast at this time of year. So, um, and the Islanders have certainly been in that position where you know yeah. with this many games left. I've been calculating. Well, you know if they get this many points out of these games, and that you know it's just like it. Once you start doing that and bringing out the abacus, then oh, you're, scre- you're a, screwed. You're screwed. Such a bad feeling being in that yeah. room when you're doing that. Yeah, yeah, and you're just trying to like. I, I mean, I did okay in math in high school and college. I'm sure some of the guys in the room are like, well, all we need to do is, you know, go 16-0. and 0. And it's just like, come on, you know that's not – we're not doing it. Exactly. He's the king. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's I think they can get there. And frankly, you know, it, they've got 18 games left. 
probably, you know, they're at, they're at 80 points right now, uh, or 78 points rather. Um, 20 points will do it. 20 points in these 18 games will get them in. But will that put them in a position to feel good about getting in and, and who they're going to face? Uh, you know, that first wild card becomes almost a must because the Bruins are going to win the Atlantic, it seems like. Tampa, without St- Steven Stamkos, I don't think they yeah. can really threaten. Um, and the Islanders, like we said, I, the Bruins are a ba- are, are really tough, tough out for them. Um, you know, the playoffs are a different animal, like we talked about. You can you can catch lightning in a bottle in a, in a seven game playoff series, whether it's your goalie becomes impregnable or yeah. um, you know it, it gets it gets a little extracurricular and and kind of the distracting some of the guys maybe like a Brad Marchand. You, you know, I think Leo Komarov would become kind of key in that series to be a guy who goes and gets under Brad Marchand's skin a little bit. Yeah. Um, but that's that's extra. You know, you're you're trying to like game it a little bit. I think if they get that first wild card and it's Washington or it's Philly or even Pittsburgh, they can pull it together. Those are teams the Islanders have beaten this year. Um, and it's Pittsburgh's team that they beat in the playoffs, and that's probably in some people's yeah. heads too. So um, I don't think it's all bad news because there is there is, a, there is a hope for them once they get in, especially if they can stay in their own division because, you know, even with all of the struggles they've had lately – they're what eight points behind the Caps, five, you know, seven points behind Philly, only two points out of third with Pittsburgh's struggles lately. Um, they've got games in hand on Columbus. So, you know, uh, as much as we talk about, we focus, drill down on the the, uh, the the things that are going wrong for the Islanders. I think in general in that division, they're they're not in a position uh, of total subservience to the good teams, uh, the teams that have gotten hot lately. Yeah, and to go along with too, you just you never know what's going to happen these last few games. Anybody can get hurt. Anybody can catch that that injury bug, or anybody could go on a slide. Of course, it's probably highly unlikely for some of the teams. But yeah, that's that's why you got to play all eighty two games to see what happens. All right, we'll get back to the Islanders in a second. But All Star breaks are in the past, and teams have their sights set on securing their place in the playoff race. Over in college hoops, teams are jockeying for tournament seating. So much action, so little time, and DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, can get you right into the middle of the action. The XFL is back to scratch everyone's itch for football. Check out the DraftKings Sportsbook app to see what special promotions they're offering on the most extreme league in the U.S. American-made, DraftKings Sportsbook is a safe and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. It's no wonder DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code QUICK. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. That's right, DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, enter code QUICK and get your sign-up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey only, bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So we recapped a little bit of last week, and, and unfortunately, Mark uh, missed our episode on Thursday when uh, we really recapped the Honor Ranger game. And there were two instances in that game that, that I tried to address myself with my 
limited hockey knowledge, but um, Mark, as a former player, I think uh, we definitely wanted for that conversation, so we'll revive yeah. it a little bit. Um, the first was a big hit by Jacob Truba on Michael Del Call, which uh, I had found out from someone with the league soon after that there was not even a consideration of a fine or a suspension. It was not called a penalty on the ice, which was the correct call by the letter of the rule book, but enraged a lot of people. And I think it sort of magnified what, what JG Paggio did, which was, you know, endearing to his teammates. And as a guy who's going to be here for a long time, I think endeared him to a lot of people uh, in the stands as well, jumping right in in his first game to defend Dal Call and fight a guy who's a lot bigger than him in Truba. Got an yeah. instigator, which was deserved by the also by the letter of the, the rule and ended up sitting out most of the game. I'm sure he didn't think he'd be back mm. in the penalty box for overtime, but he didn't get a chance to get <laughs> out of there either. So from a player's perspective, and, and, and we're coming at it from, you know, you didn't you didn't retire that long ago. But I imagine it feels a lot longer ago from the way that that head hits are treated now versus yeah. how they were treated when you played. And those open ice hits, you know, you played in the era of if you got a buddy pass like that and you put your head down the way that Michael Del Call did, Scott Stevens or even someone not <laughs> even as good as Scott Stevens was like their eyes got big as saucers and they said, okay, this guy is going to get rung up right now. And nobody and nobody watching it or nobody commentating on it or or writing about it or on the bench would say anything other than, geez, you got to keep your head up. That's different uh, now. How do you see that hit now in light of the way it was when you played and in light of the rule, the way that head hits are treated now and in light of the, the rule book in general? That, uh, that See, that is a tough one. I, first thing, right away when I saw it, actually, uh, check up. Check out Jay McKee uh, destroys Mark Parrish on YouTube, <laughs> uh, and it's pretty similar. I don't to mean that. to laugh. I don't mean to laugh. No, but. oh, you'll laugh harder when you see it. <laughs> and uh, no, he, uh, you know, and it's one of those things. The thing that I love about it. So my my initial reaction was, why'd you make that pass? Because that's 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 on the right. passer. Right? And that was pa- that was Pajo, and he felt terrible. Exactly. And that was part of the reason why he ju- he felt immediately. I mean, he would have done it anyway, I'm sure. But he jumped in. He was like, "Geez, I almost killed my own guy." And that uh, uh, Brian Sotheby did the exact same thing for me in Dallas because he passed it to me and McKee just destroyed me. And before I even knew what hit me, you know, he's already out there and, and he, he's fighting them. And it was so it was great that, uh, yeah, uh, that he did that. And that's just what you expect to do, because, yeah, you see like Yes, that's the rule was called on the on the on the guy with the puck. You had to keep your head up. Right. It was it was your job to keep your head up and be aware of your surroundings. Uh, but at the same time, you've got to trust your teammates and your players. So that that hit is more on the player than it is, or on the passer than it is on the guy that's making the hit. Now, as they've made the, the rule changes, the hits to the head, uh, you know, as, as much as I don't, I mean, Truba, I don't, where else could Truba have hit him? Right. You know, like the game is quick. I don't think there was like, it was a targeting. It was, he read the play perfectly and he went, oh my Lord, as soon as this puck touches his stick, he's going to get lit up. And that's part of that game. So that was, it's a great question. Um, It's that felt like an old school hockey play. Like I said, like that, that I went through and that was my last year in the NHL. As a matter of fact, anyway, uh, when that did happen. So um, I like that they're still allowing that, but it's so hard with these, the head contact and how they're making that a point of emphasis, because it kind of looked to me like you got him right in the chin Right. Yeah. You know, shoulder to chin. And is, is that just because, uh, you know, is that more of a, I don't think it's a blind side, but, you know, I heard people even argue a little bit of that because he came kind of from an angle. Well, 
you're not always perfectly in front of everyone in the game nine times out of ten. You're coming at some form of an angle. Uh, but I absolutely, my favorite part was uh, literally, I, I mean, I, I don't know how quick both he and Bailey, Peugeot and Bailey got to him, but that was impressive to have two guys that just didn't think twice. That was just reaction to go to defend their teammate. And that is exactly what kind of teammates you want. That's what kind of players you want. That's when, when you take that instigator penalty nowadays, you kill that penalty off for that player. Now, can you, can you see a day as a guy who played in an, in an era, it was a little bit slower than it is now, but not that far, not that long ago. Can you envision a day when all head hits are illegal and how, and whether, NHL players can can play by those rules. The game is so fast. That's what's hard. Uh, you know, yeah. I, there was, you know, you watched that head and it, just, I didn't, it didn't leave his feet. There was no intent to injure. Right. Elbow, to, was, you know, elbow was like tucked. That. Elbow was down. He's a bigger guy, smaller player, uh, you know, big defenseman. You know, at some point, just, you know, size matters. <laughs> if right. your head's right at shoulder height, what do you? What are they supposed to do? I mean, even, even if you try and take it completely away, uh, there's, it's just going to happen. It's, 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 you know, you're aiming for the chest. If you aim for shoulders, it, it's a lot of times coming straight at a player for a hit. If you're trying to, you know, trying to catch that shoulder to shoulder and then you miss, well, then you're sitting on the bench and you, because you know, the guy's going to break away. So it, it's, it's a tough, it's, it's a, there's some gray area there. I just don't think, uh, I don't think the game's slowing down anytime soon. I, I'd be shocked if they could take away head hitting or the hits to the head altogether, then it would almost have to, uh, it would almost have to get to a time where like you can't hit somebody straight on. You can't hit anyone from the front to the, you know, if it is from the side, it's got to be shoulder to shoulder. Uh, you know, it would just, it would, it would change the game uh, too much in my opinion. So I think that part of the game, and now it's, it's awful. You never want to be on the, uh, the receiving side of those hits. Uh, but at the same time, that's part of the game. It's part of the excitement of the game. That's the physicality of the game. And it's part of the game I've always enjoyed. Yeah, it's uh, it's hard to envision a day when yeah. all head hits, you know, as soon as you make contact to the head that it's elite. You know, it, you think about open ice hits and the ones that have been suspendable in the last couple of years that you've seen are guys coming from the side, extending yeah. an elbow or even extending a shoulder to a guy and yeah. making, you know, and, and a guy, it's not a, it's not a full body hit like this one was. And mm-hmm. I think that's the, that's the biggest distinction. This wasn't a Tom Wilson flying along and catching somebody in the jaw with whatever part of his body. Um, or, or even, you know, thinking back a couple of years when, uh, when Connor McDavid caught Nick Letty um, yeah. with a, with a hit that was, that was, I think it was only called a, a minor on the ice and uh, two game suspension and it, nobody batted an eye. It was, it's Connor yeah. McDavid's the best player in the league. It's the Islanders and Islander fans always feel like they're on the receiving end of, uh, of some of these raw <laughs> deals, but no one hesitated. He was suspended. Yeah, the Oilers cried about it, but it was a textbook suspendable hit. Yeah. It was a guy, catching a guy unsuspecting in the in the face with a bent over where you can avoid that kind of contact. And this one mm-hmm. didn't seem avoidable. So um, uh, I like I, I like your your perspective. And the second thing was the uh, goalie interference call that waved off uh, a potential 3-2 goal for the Islanders in the third period. Devon Taves shot it. Anders Lee was had a foot in the blue paint. Uh, Alexander Georgiev initiated contact, tried to get set. Uh, Kevin Pollock immediately blew it off. 
and then Islanders challenged, lost the challenge, had a, had to kill another penalty down three one, and managed to still get their comeback going. But um, but as a guy who lived uh, in the blue and around the blue, and obviously those rules were very different when you were when you were in your heyday, especially with the yeah. Islanders. You know, we think back to the you know the ninety nine Stanley Cup final with uh, the the dispute about a toe in the blue for Brett Hull <laughs> and the deciding yeah. goal and how ridiculous that all was. That this there was Awful. a there was an area of the ice that was completely off limits to a guy trying to score a goal in a league where offense was way down. Um, yep. So this now is it's a mess. Goalie interference is a mess, and how do you <laughs> how do you fix way to put it, Commissioner Mark Parrish? How do you fix the goalie interference rule? I the it's oh lord, uh, they just got to find some kind of consistency, uh, you know. And it's I know it's hard. The game it it, it evolves. Well, now it's happened enough where, <clears throat> hey, you know, each year you get the you get the video from the league. All right, this is the penalty they're gonna you know. They're gonna you know, really uh, get, uh, come down hard on obstruction and and uh, you know interference, whatever the new rules are. So you get all these videos, you can get these clips, and I, they've got to find a way to just find some consistency. Because I got to be honest with you, every time if I'm working the NHL Network, I'm walking a game, just watching a game with friends, and like, was that goalie interference? I'm like, I have no idea. We'll see. Could, you know, sometimes it's it's deliberate, it's obvious. I didn't like that call at all. I, I I mean I, I at first I thought he might have called you know I think it was just right in the crease and, and you could kind of hardly even tell if his skates were where is that exactly and right. Gorgiev comes up and he he like you said he initiates the contact uh, and just to to get that call waved off just instantly that bothered me and to to not even take a look at it I loved that Trotz challenged it and I truly thought he was going to win the challenge I I couldn't believe it I thought that was going to be a good goal. From from the other from some of the other things where guys are sliding into goalies and taking them out and, and whatever and then they get they get knocked out for whatever reason and they let that go how how can you make that call right and then on the heels of that later in the week in the first Bruins goal on on Saturday afternoon Patrice Bergeron is driving the net Andy Green gets a stick underneath the skates you know he goes flying into Semyon Varlamov everybody yep. kind of stops for a second and Pasternak scores from the wall into an empty net and everyone's just kind yeah. of standing around now that one should count because Andy Green did trip Bergeron right as mm-hmm. he was driving the net i think in a in in a bygone era they would have just blown the whistle and said okay that's you know that was the goalie had no chance to stop that regardless of what uh what caused him to whether it was his own player or an attacking player and they just say all right we'll drop the puck that shouldn't be a goal now mm-hmm. I think we've seen that, and that one has been pretty consistent. If they decide in the course of play that a defenseman pushed someone in, um, they do tend to let it go. I mean, I, I can think back yeah. to game two of the Islanders series with Carolina last year <clears throat> where Anders Lee was very clearly pushed into the goalie. The Islanders scored into the empty net, and not only did they wave that off, they called a penalty on Anders Lee, which was, a garba- <laughs> which was truly yep. a garbage call and probably changed the course of that series. And that, to me, highlights something that I did talk about when I was rambling on my own last week, that I think there needs to be, whether it's a third ref in the building, maybe for playoff games, or whether it's Toronto when they call down, disregard the call on the ice. The idea that the call on the ice means anything is only deference to the officials. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not, you know, if Kevin Pollack, who's a good ref, makes that emphatic call, if he's looking at it, you know, on TV... High high definition, whatever. Exactly. Um, he he might say, "Oh yeah, I probably shouldn't. Like, I should have just let that one go. Like, do what they do for offsides now for the linesman. Mm-hmm. 
let him go, and then we sort it out afterwards. And if that means taking, you know, if that means taking away the penalty for a challenge and you just limit the number of challenges, you know, keep the penalty for offsides because I feel like offside, you're either on or you're off. And so the, the the video guys underneath for each team can really determine that it's not more it's less of a judgment call. If you want to say you get one freebie for goalie interference, you can challenge without without under duress of uh, of taking a minor penalty. And then any time you want to challenge after that, you you have to risk it. And at least you get a sense of which way the game's going that way because each game is different. Each standard seems to be different. Whether there's some yeah. refs that say like we'll let it go. Um, there just seems to be. The, I, I feel like there needs to be some sort of summit between competition committee, GMs, uh, players, referees, association, some representative groups of those three to get together and say, "Look, either we're gonna we're gonna say we'll let everything go and sort it out afterwards, and you get one free challenge, and after anything after that, you got to pay for basically with the risk of a penalty, or we're gonna just we're gonna just call it as we see it and." You guys can all fight it out for whatever because we've seen guys with their feet in the blue standing there jockeying for position and the goalie doesn't get touched or in this case initiates contact and then tries to get set up and says, hey, I you know, I was interfered with. You weren't. You just didn't have the same kind of space. Yeah. This is – the standard has to be somewhat more uniform because because from game to game coaches are saying like, well, what do I do here? Is the, are these Are these refs – who feel strongly about this, or are these refs that are more deferential to what the review process is in the Situation Room? It's 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 hard to know game to game. It's funny that you know a few years ago we we're debating over well we've got this HD and you got to bring the instant replay in because you just we got to get the call right. We have the technology, we have the capabilities to make sure we get the call right. That's not true. Still don't always <laughs> get it right. So right. it's it's interesting now a couple years later and you see it perfectly like wait a minute they're still making mistakes and to me it kind of goes to i'm almost getting frustrated with all the instant replays i I, it it takes away from some of the momentum of the game it it just it can switch the momentum of the game quickly from one call to the next you know uh so i I, i'm still not quite sure how i feel completely about all the instant replay all right now it frustrates me so it just i think it takes away some of the speed momentum energy of the game yeah, the only thing that gives me some hope on this is that <clears throat> when it comes to the offside challenge, we just heard from the GM meetings they're going on right now that uh, they're changing, they're yeah. tweaking that rule that that if your foot is not on the ice as long as it breaks the plane, that that means you're onside. So I think they're edging yeah. towards a good standard. I think you and I have discussed this on the air. I feel like if going into the zone, you have to be fully over the blue and coming out of the zone, the puck just has to be has to have one little sliver on the edge of the blue to still be on side. That's stupid to me. It should be the front yeah. edge of the blue in the in the neutral mm-hmm. zone. Should be if your skates on that thing, you're on side. If the puck is halfway over that thing, you're on side. So maybe they'll get yeah. closer to that. But they're edging towards it. They're figuring it out. I think goals that are kicked in. I think they have a really good standard now, and I think everybody is starting to understand that if you turn your skate, it's mm-hmm. going to count. Or if you turn your leg, it's going to count. As long as you don't wind up like uh, you're, uh, you know. Uh, Mason Crosby or something, uh, I think you're good. Um, because we've seen that with the Islanders too a few yeah. years ago where, where oh, yeah. you know, that was, a, that was a game to game. Is it a kicking motion? Is it not? So mm-hmm. I feel like the league is edging towards this place where they can get them as close to right as they can and they'll never be 100% because yeah. that's just the speed of the game, things that we were talking about. But I feel Absolutely. like there is a there is a path 
to getting it closer to good with goalie interference, but they sure as heck ain't there now. <laughs> and I think the the illustrations of, of Tuesday's game with uh, a goal that should have counted, uh, and actually even earlier in that game when the Rangers made it uh, 2 nothing on a tip by Greg McKegg, who, who kind of hooked Varlamov's pad as he was coming through the blue earlier before he got set up, Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard from a guy who knows the situation of people, they were like, why didn't the Islanders challenge that? We absolutely would have waved that one off. And so it's yep. just like you're smacking your head like, well, who would have known that? Because sometimes we've seen, oh, well, you had enough time to get set up. I, I yeah. feel like it, it's a mess right now and there's a yep. way to there, – there is a way out of it. It'll still be – it'll still piss off some people at some point. But oh, yeah. I think the there's – It's the best part of sports anyway, right? <laughs> I think there is a – there is a way out of it. So um, uh, the Islanders have the Canadians here in Brooklyn tonight. We didn't even get to the the last little bit, which we still got a little bit of time. Um, Governor Cuomo, Commissioner Gary Bettman, the Islanders owners announcing on Saturday, uh, right after Butch Goings, very, very enjoyable retirement ceremony of his number 91 and before a really ugly 4 nothing loss to the Bruins, uh, that all the playoff games for this spring will be at Nassau Coliseum and all of the games regular and postseason Next year, 2021, will be at Nassau Coliseum. And then 21-22, they'll be in Belmont Park in their brand-new arena. So um, I think you love it. A lot I of the love fans it. love it. I know a few fans who don't love it who are city dwellers. That's unfortunate for them. Um, but right. in a couple of years, they'll be at a place they can take a train to, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, first and foremost, the, the team loves it. I think uh, it, it's amazing to think that they haven't lost in regulation here this year. This year in their ten games, I believe they're seven zero and three in Barclays. So I think a lot of visiting teams also dislike it, but um, but it is uh, it, it is a step towards a little bit more yeah. of a normal situation after the last four or five years of bouncing around. That and as, as well as just the atmosphere in that building is electric. It's so loud. Fans are on top of you. The fans absolutely adore getting there. You can tell how much energy the fans have when they just get into the building. And I hope somehow they can harness some of that energy, that atmosphere into the new building in Belmont because it is one of my favorite things. It is my favorite thing about that Coliseum, how loud it can get, uh, how people just right on top of you. It's, it's just an old school feel of a building that's just fun to play in. Yeah, and I think the the important part is for the playoffs. You know, the build it, it hasn't always been full. Barclays hasn't always been full, but but like you said, that atmosphere gets ramped up. The Islander Ranger game had a great atmosphere. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure some of these games down the stretch that become more and more important will have good atmospheres. But if they can get to the playoffs, which we certainly talked about an awful lot today, um, that will be when when Islander fans show out and and bring their Bring their loudest voices and uh, their biggest excitement, no matter if it's Boston or Tampa or Washington or Pittsburgh again or Philly. Um, it'll be good, and I think that uh, that's what the what the players are looking for. In addition to giving them a sense of routine again, uh, you know, JG yes. Pajot today. This is going to be his first Islander game. Uh, at Barclays and one of the last since they've only got two more after tonight. And he said, I'm going to take the train and hopefully I get there. And that's, I'm sure that's how he genuinely <laughs> feels like, Oh, is, is oh this, yeah. this going to work? Like you guys take yeah. the train. What? Huh? So mm-hmm. uh, he won't have to worry about that. Uh, the rest of the team won't have to worry about that going forward. So uh, it, happy that, uh, that Barclays exists and was willing to make the deal with Charles Wong because who knows where the Islanders would have ended up after 2014, 15, I know it's Amen. it's a hot it's a hotly debated topic that uh, 
Some people don't think the Islanders would have left the area. I'm going to disagree with you from some of the conversations that I had with Charles uh, before he gave up full control of the team. I think he was he was done with Long Island after his re- after the referendum failed, after his lighthouse yeah. project failed. I think he was ready to to just give it up and and sell for whatever he could sell for and be done with it. So uh, mm-hmm. good on the Barclays people for taking him on. It wasn't always the smoothest situation there, but uh, but the Islanders certainly had a lot of success there and really. Uh, you know, one of their two or three signature moments of the last couple of decades happened in this building with John Tavares scoring the double OT goal to beat the Panthers in 2016. And, and that one uh, will be forever etched uh, in, in team lore for a long time with those black seats in the background. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, so it's uh, I think it's it's good riddance. But thanks for being there for for Barkley. So uh, We'll see. We'll see how the Islanders fare in the playoffs now, with the knowledge that they'll be at, at uh, out on the Long Island for uh, for the short term at the Coliseum and the long term at Belmont Park. So that's all we got for for today. Uh, thank you, Mark, for uh, a good a good debate as always. Um, and uh, we'll be back again later this week with a little more No Sleep Till Belmont. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon. Thanks, buddy.